Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. We are continuing our series as well. Uh, We are talking about all I want for Christmas. And we talked about last week, does anybody remember? Rest, that's right. I thought, I thought you said no. I saw you. At least you're honest. At least you're honest. Most of you are probably thinking, no, I don't remember. But all I want for Christmas is rest. And today we are continuing that. And what I want to say before I explain what we're talking about is this. Christmas doesn't always go as planned, does it? It doesn't always go as planned. You know, I love those little uh, fail videos that people put out, like people trying to make little gingerbread houses, and they've got the example, you know, it looks all pristine, looks like a place you could actually live in, and then they make one, looks like a dump truck ran over it, you know, and that would be mine. And, you know, but Christmas doesn't always go as planned, and we've got these big grandiose dreams and plans for how we want things to go, but they don't always go as planned. I just found just a couple of pictures I want to show you. The first one I want you to see is this. I don't know if you can read the little sign, but it says, light up Christmas, and it's by a bunch of gas cans. I was like, that, that will make Christmas merry and bright, for sure. And the whole neighborhood as your house burns down, I guess. I don't know what it was. But I don't know who oversight that was, but I thought that was pretty funny. And here's another one. At elementary school, breakfast with... Satan. That's an interesting twist on Christmas. I I thought that was pretty good myself. Um, And we're just in time. It's not Saturday, but December 14th. It's just around the corner. So you can make breakfast with Satan if you hurry and and plan your your calendar right. But I know they meant breakfast with Santa, but life doesn't always go the way we plan. And today I want to talk about what we want for Christmas. And it's simply hope. Hope. Christmas for many people is a joyous season but for a lot of people it's not and as I was working and praying and preparing um, just so you know to give you a little bit of insight a little look behind the curtain I, I try to plan out my messages at least the theme and the idea and you know maybe the scripture the main scripture uh, like a year in advance I, I usually try to go away either the end of one year or the very first part of the year and try to plan out the entire year and, and I planned this series all I want for Christmas and I thought about some some key ideas after I would prayed and today was supposed to be hope and I was working and preparing in the fine details this past week and I was doing some studying on the word hope and I kept coming back to uh, a message that I had preached just a couple years ago. And and so I'm going to be really honest. I'm decided to really heavily kind of go back and and kind of preach that same message. Now, I know all you guys remember exactly what I said. And so it's going to be real tough on you to hear it again. But I just, I kept kept thinking, I kept studying, I kept praying, I kept doing these different word studies, and I was like, this is the message that I think I needed to hear, and so I want to share it with you guys again today. But I've got a, a few things I want to help you think about as you, as you think about this. Because Christmas isn't always joyful for everybody. And even though it's kind of a bummer to talk about, I think we've got to talk about the tough stuff. We've got to talk about the tough stuff. Statistics say, and I, I think this might be even a little bit light considering the past year and a half, two years that we've had. But statistics say that one in four people say that they struggle with depression. And it often gets worse at the holidays. After this past year, I don't know if that's not a higher number. You know, I don't know if you can do one and a half out of four, but 
maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's even two out of four. It can be a difficult time. And there's a lot of different reasons. Sometimes you may not have a lot of family, and so you might feel a little bit lonely. Maybe your family's out of town. And you feel lonely. Sometimes grief is associated with a holiday. And so you miss a, a dear loved one. And so that pain is, is really difficult. And, and then sometimes it's just the weather. You know, North Carolina, you never know where it's going to get. You know, I was looking at my memories on Facebook just this past week. And we had snow, like a decent amount of snow for us about three years ago just this past week. But now, you know, it's like 70 degrees yesterday. And so you never know what you're going to get. But at Christmas time, it can get cold and it can get dark and it can get a little bit bleak. And I don't know about y'all, but I am really sensitive to the whole sunlight thing. When I don't get, I mean, if it's cloudy for about a day or two, I start to feel how it affects my mood. You know, it, it really does. And I'm like, I don't know how those people in Alaska do it. You know, like in the places where, you know, it's six months dark. I just don't understand it. And so sometimes that's what gets people down and discouraged and depressed. It's just the lack of sunlight and, and it, just, it just gets to them. Regardless of whatever the reason is, people can feel hopeless. They can feel like there's no hope at all. At Christmas, while the rest of the world seems to be so merry and bright. Many years ago, in 1863, uh, a poet that most of us have probably at least heard his name. I'm not much into poetry, but I do know his name. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He was dealing with the death of his wife in a fire in his home. The country was in the midst of the Civil War. His son was called into battle and was fighting. And he sat down and he penned a poem. And this poem was made into a song. And, and I'll be honest, when I was a kid, when I grew up in church and I would hear this song uh, around Christmas, I really thought it was the most ridiculous song. It was just kind of too sing-songy for me. And it might be your favorite song, I don't know, so don't get too mad at me. But it was just kind of too sing-songy. But if you grew up in church or you're used to like older hymns, maybe you recognize it. But I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. You ever heard that? Okay, yeah, I just thought it was like too sing-songy for me. I, I just didn't like it. I like a lot of Christmas carols, but that was just one I didn't like. But then just a few years ago, a band by the name of Casting Crowns took that song, all the words, and put a new melody to it. And I'll be honest, for me, like I heard it. And even though I had sung that song probably every year of my life at Christmas, I never heard the lyrics until they were put to a melody that really seemed to match it. It was like in a minor key. And they sang these words, and I want to read them to you. I found out the beauty of the lyrics and the depth of the lyrics. It says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this is when it gets really a little bit heavy. It says, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. When you think about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and you think about what he wrote this in, the climate of the world, and you think about what was going on in his life, you can see that this was a poem that was just heavy and it, it was sort of dark for him. And, and he was just pouring out his heart and he knew the good news, but he also knew that the news that he was hearing every day was not so good. Can anybody, you know, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but can anybody kind of raise your hand and say, I, I can relate? You know, I can relate to feeling like, man, I just can't take any more bad news. I don't know if you guys saw on the news, but 
in four states just the other day. A horrible storm went through and just leveled cities and towns. And it just feels like life can be so hopeless. And, and I'm not here to, to beat you down or, or, or push you further down. But we've got to talk about this because more of us are feeling this than not, I believe, at times. And so you can hear the pain in Longfellow's lyrics and you're all too familiar with them. Everybody doesn't love God. Everybody doesn't, everybody doesn't have a life that's always fair and always pretty and always fairy tale endings. That's just not what a lot of us go through. And so much of the weight of discouragement and depression is the feeling that nobody understands you and nobody can help you. And that's what really gets a lot of people. And it can become easy to feel hopeless. But my hope today is not to just further discourage you. My hope is to encourage you. My hope is to encourage you that if you're dealing with discouragement and depression or hopelessness or whatever you want to call it, that you realize that you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. You realize that even if someone that you're close to is struggling, that you can help in loving them through this. Now, I love God's word because there's, there's literally something for everything that we'll go through if you dig deep enough. It, it might not look like 2021, but there's the same feelings and emotions that you're going to deal with. And when you look at God's word, you'll see people that dealt with great discouragement. And, and they challenge us by the way that they respond. Now, I love the fact that the Bible's so real and so true because its heroes, oftentimes, it shows their, their difficult times. It doesn't just make it look like everything's great, right? If you think it is, then you haven't read the Bible that much. And I encourage you to get in it. And so I want to look at some people that really dealt with discouragement and see how they dealt with it. Believe it or not, guess who I'm going to start with? Jesus. And some of us might say, whoa, hold up now. Jesus never dealt with discouragement. Really need to get in the Bible then. Jesus dealt with discouragement in some real and powerful ways. And the, the place in his life and his ministry I want to go to for just a moment is Jesus in the garden before he was arrested and before he went to the cross. You know, we may not think of Jesus as dealing with depression or deep discouragement, but he absolutely dealt with it. I, you know, I'm not going to get into the argument, was, was he depressed? I don't know, but he dealt with deep discouragement, and that is without arguing. That's without arguing. Look at this passage of Scripture. Listen to what Jesus says in the events that are described here in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. It says, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here. While I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What does that sound like? At least deep discouragement. And I could say maybe even depression. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. It says, then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Jesus is about to go through one of the most unbelievable trials that any of us could ever imagine because he's going to go through this immense, intense pain that is just indescribable. But even more than that, this sinless person, man, God, was going to feel the weight of the sin of the entire world that has ever lived or ever will live at one time on his sinless, perfect soul. And I want to challenge you to pause for just a moment and, and consider what that weight is like. Because have you ever felt guilty? You need to feel guilty because you lied because you felt guilty because we all have sin. Okay. But when you feel guilty, and you're, especially when you're keeping it secret, how does that feel? It's heavy, isn't it? One sin that you've committed weighs on you and it feels like this burden that you cannot lift. Can you imagine the entire sin of the world? Not on a conscience that has been abused and misused and mistreated over and over and over and has gotten a little bit hard-hearted, but on a perfect, spotless, sinless soul. All of that sin and all of that guilt dumped on him at one moment. This is what Jesus was about to bear. And he was going through this time and his friends couldn't even stay awake for an hour. Do you get a sense of how dark and deep this is? They couldn't even stay awake and pray with him. He felt utterly alone and ultimately rejected. Verse 42. It says he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He knew that his death was imminent. I mean, that's a, that's a heavy thing to do. There are many people in this world who know that their death could be at any moment. But Jesus knew intimately exactly the moment that he would do this. Can you imagine that weight? It's just unbearable to think about. He was hoping for another way, but he knew what was coming. And you and I get worked up and burdened by things that may never happen. Am I right? That's what we worry about. We worry about stuff that might not ever happen. Now, some of the stuff we worry about will happen. But Jesus knew that this horrible thing was going to happen. Can you imagine the burden that's crushing down on him? Verse 43. When he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. I want to pause right there. It's a good thing that I'm not Jesus. And some of y'all are like, how? Oh, I know. Amen. But I'd come back. The first time, I'd have been struggling. The second time, I'd have gone, you know, when they're sleeping again. At least about 10,000 volts. Enough to just really wake them up and make them wet the bed. You know, I'd have done something. Excuse me, forgive me. I'm not Jesus. Y'all know that. So, okay. Anyway, but... He comes back the second time. I, I mean, I'm, just, I'm not just trying to be stupid. I am, naturally. It happens just all the time. But I want you to understand, this isn't just words on a page. His friends have fallen asleep, and then he comes back and says, please stay awake and pray. And they're asleep again. He came back and he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It's only getting worse. His friends have fallen asleep again. They're still sleeping. The third time he comes back after praying, nobody's there with him. Nobody understands. Only he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are there. And sometimes, especially 
it's just nice to have somebody with skin on, right, around you. And nobody was there that was standing by him. Nobody was there praying with him. And Jesus is about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. The weight of that is terrible. And then he was about to be abandoned by guess how many of his friends? All of them. Every single one. Every single one was going to leave him. He was lacking community. He was lacking companionship. And I believe that's why a lot of us get discouraged at a time like this. Because if maybe you don't have a lot of family close by, it can get lonesome. And it's easy to kind of push people farther away because you're hurt and you're sad and you're discouraged. And so you're like, well, okay, you're going to have to come find me. And we've probably all been there. But that lack of community, that lack of companionship it can be soul crushing. But I ask you this, what made the difference for Jesus? And you might want to say, okay, well, he's God, but yes, but he was also man. And he felt these emotions and he felt these pains even greater than, like I said a moment ago, even greater than anything we've ever felt. But he knew that the Father's will and plan was perfect. And if, if you don't get anything... I hope you get that statement that you probably know, you, you probably know in theory. But God's will and his plan is perfect. It's not like my plans. It's not like your plans. His plan and his will is perfect. And Jesus knew that. And so he could have hope even when it seemed bleak. Now, in my study and, and preparation, I really started digging into that word hope a little bit. And at times when I thought about the word hope, at least when I use it in, in the sense that I use it, maybe you're the same way. I, I thought about kind of like this, forgive me, but joyful idiot type attitude. Well, I'm going to be hopeful. <laughs> no matter what. I mean, the house is burning down because somebody said keep Christmas merry and bright in front of a bunch of gas cans. And, I mean, the house is sort of burning down around you. You're like, all right, I'm going to be hopeful. <laughs> you know, that's sort of what I, I th felt like. And if, if people could, could be overly positive, that's what I thought it was, like these overly optimistic people. And those are the kind of people that, let's be real, sometimes you're like, don't be judgy. Unless you're just not like me, whatever. But, and I couldn't relate to that at times. And so I was like, it, it's hard to have hope when things are bleak. But Jesus knew the plan of the Father. He knew the will of the Father. He knew that it was perfect. And even though he didn't want this cup, he said, let your will be done. Because he trusted the Father. And you and I need to do the same thing. And so when we see this word in the Old Testament a lot of times, it's used a lot. And when we have Christmas songs, uh, Oh Holy Night, the thrill of hope. At times for you and me, when themes, things are at their darkest, it's hard to imagine the thrill of hope. You know, when God's been silent for 400 years and we haven't heard anything and our people have been enslaved for 400 years, even farther back. And, and you know, the list is endless and you can fill in your own things in those blanks about God is just silent and how can I have hope? But in the Old Testament, there's two words that are often translated hope. One is yahal. And it literally just sort of means to wait, to wait, yahal. And sometimes that's what hope is. It's just waiting. And there's another word, kavah, 
which is related to the word kav, which is like a cord or rope. And it gives the idea, and this is the one I can really relate to, it gives the idea of tension on a cord, how it's stretched tight. And that's what hope can be like sometimes. It's just stretched and you feel like it might break at any moment, but it's pulled tight, but you're hoping and you're waiting for the tension to be released and ultimately for Jesus to come. And so in the Old Covenant, they waited for the Messiah forever to come. And some, when he came, didn't realize it after the tension was released. But now we wait and we wait even though this life is hard and difficult. And it seems like we can't go on. And we hear about tornadoes and we hear about viruses and we hear about murders. And it's just like, I just don't know if I can keep on anymore. And it feels like the tension of that rope is going to break. We hope. And we hold on and we cling to the hope that we have. Because Jesus is good. And the Father is so good. He sent Jesus to die for us. And he sends the Holy Spirit. As Sister Selma prayed before we, as we gathered before church this morning. That the Holy Spirit came so we wouldn't be alone. And we would have one that could intercede for us on behalf. To the Father on our behalf. God is good and we hope. Even though it may be bleak. Even though it may be dark. Jesus was undoubtedly waiting in the tension. But he knew God's purpose would win. He knew that his death would pay the price for our lives. And so this was the embodiment of Romans chapter 8 verse 28 where it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And so if you're continuing to seek God's face, he can take these broken things in your life and he can rebuild them and take ashes and turn them into beauty. And he can use these these difficult situations. And you and I have to trust that God is working in the difficulties and the silence. We have to remind ourselves that God is God and we are not. And I know I say that a lot, but I need to be reminded of it. And I bet you do too. God is God and we are not. So remind yourself of God's past faithfulness. And know that it's the promise of future faithfulness. He's batting a thousand every time, y'all. Every time. So focus on the will of God and his wisdom when you are in those moments of hope being stretched thin. And you're in those moments of waiting. His plan is perfect. And even though the world might be in chaos, he holds it in his hand. And he brings beauty from ashes. Next, we look at the Apostle Paul. We look at the Apostle Paul, the author of much of the New Testament. And it's impossible, right? It's impossible that he could have dealt with discouragement and depression. Am I right? (laughs) Just read the book of Acts and see everything that Paul went through in just a few short years. Shipwrecks and being beaten and probably being stoned to death. And, you know, being imprisoned multiple times, being put in chains and all these different things. He went through so much... It's impossible, right, that he could have dealt with discouragement and depression? Well, I want to talk about Paul's thorn in his flesh. You see, he was a, no stranger to battles with discouragement. And what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, says this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. But, but wait, wait, this is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He couldn't get to the point where it says he despaired of even life itself. 
I thought if you have enough faith that God will give you a fat bank account and a thin waistline. But a lot of times he might give you a fat waistline and a thin bank account. You know, that's the way I, that's the way I feel sometimes. But y'all, some of y'all want to laugh, but you're afraid you're going to get judged. Just join in. It's fun. Be judged. Anyway, but here's the thing. We see that one of the most faithful servants of Christ that we can look at in the New Testament, who wrote most of the New Testament, went through difficult times. He despaired even to the point of death itself, or life itself being taken from him. And he shares something was troubling him, this thorn in the flesh we mentioned. And whatever this was, it was bad. He calls it a messenger of Satan here. And this great man of faith prayed and prayed and prayed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says, because of these surpassingly great revelations that he'd experienced. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from him, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm, that's not what I wanted to hear. That's not what I wanted to hear, right? That's, what, that's the way we pray. We're like, ah, okay, I prayed three times. Let's take this thing away. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We've got to learn this lesson from Paul is that I, I pray and, and probably maybe you've prayed, Lord, take this thing away. Take this burden. Take this fear. Take this worry. Take this struggle. Take this illness. Take whatever it is. Take it away. And sometimes God is just saying, I'm going to rebuild you in this brokenness that you're in. And I don't like hearing that. And you don't like hearing that. But sometimes he's got to get those broken pieces out of the way so that there can be real healing. And that God's power is made perfect in weakness. When you are weak, that's when you finally... Sometimes Andrew likes to ask me to, to build Legos with him. And he actually starts building a little bit of stuff. And it, honestly, in all reality, he probably is better than me. But, you know, when he tries to... I try to help him build Legos. He'll, he'll put a few blocks together, and then he'll get bored, and, you know, I'll try to build it. I'm trying to, like, follow the instructions, you know, and I'm like, come on, man. But then, you know, I'm working around the house. If I get out my tools, you know, if I get out my drill or a hammer or anything like that, in about 30 seconds, guess who's going to be coming around the corner with all of his plastic drill and his plastic camera? He's going to want to help. Dad, I'll help. I'll help you. I'll help you. And, you know, in a couple moments, you know, he's just kind of getting in the way. He's kind of getting in the way, and I, I try to be patient with him. And we think when kids do that, we're like, oh, how sweet and how silly. You know, they think they actually can help, you know, and all this sort of stuff. How many times have you and I been guilty of doing that with God the Father? We've got this thing that we've got to fix that's broken. And, you know, God's starting to work on it. You're like, okay, hold up, God. I got this. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And we got our little fake toy drill. <laughs> you know, it doesn't do anything. And we're like, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. And we think, oh, silly children, but we do the same thing. 
And so sometimes it's got to just weigh down on us so much that we realize I can't do it anymore. I need you to do it. And that's what God is wanting us to understand. We can't do it anymore. It's time for him to be able to step in and do it. So focus on God's power, not your own. When you're surrendered in your weakness and admit you need Jesus, then you're able to be used in ways you never imagined. When you don't think that you can continue, that's when you lean on Jesus. Let him transform your mess into a message. Let him do it. You know, if, if we think of ourselves as a clay pot, like the scripture calls us sometimes, a clay vessel, a jar. That jar gets a lot of cracks sometimes. But the beauty is, is that that's when the light can shine out through those cracks the most. The light inside you of God shines out when you're broken, when you're cracked. And that's when he can speak through you and work through you in greater ways. And the last person is this, Elijah. Elijah's gentle whisper. It says in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, what happened here, just to give you a little bit of background, is he's gone through this great victory where he challenged the 800 prophets of Baal and Asherah to the, to the duel on top of the Mount Carmel. And, you know, he said, let's set up sacrifices and then we'll each call to our own God and the God that strikes the sacrifice with fire, that's the real God. Well, guess who showed up? The real God. And devoured the rocks, the dirt, the water, everything that he had done. And he's on this great victory. And then Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, boy. And just like that, he forgot that great victory, and he's discouraged. It says in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. I don't see anywhere that God told him to leave his servant. And so he did what a lot of us do when we get discouraged. We distance ourselves from other people. And he goes and he says that he wants to die. He was afraid. He was exhausted. He was hopeless. And he wanted his life to end. Look at verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Couldn't God probably take some of your prayers and some of your crying out and just put it in the place of Elijah's words earlier? Has there been a time in your life when you said, I'm tired and I'm hopeless and I just kind of want to die. And I believe that he would say the same thing to you that he said to Elijah. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? It goes on. In verse 14 he says, 
He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He he felt alone, right? Even though he knew that a lot of people came to the Lord's side when when the, the sacrifices were destroyed. But he felt useless. He felt abandoned, maybe even betrayed by God. He's like, look, I had this great victory. I did this great thing. I mean, I cannot imagine many greater acts of faith than building a sacrifice or an altar and putting a sacrifice on it, then soaking it with water in a drought season, soaking it with water, and then praying for God to strike it with fire and then see God do it. But in just a moment when some discouraging words come, it just knocked everything out from underneath him. And he was ready to die. He said, nobody cares. Nobody's there with me. Nobody listens. Nobody. And I think it's implied, God, even you have left me alone. Why don't you just shut that woman's mouth just like you sent that lightning bolt from heaven? And have you ever prayed a similar prayer? God, why don't you just take, why did that person have to say that? Why did that person have to do that? Why did I have to get these test results? He felt alone. He felt hopeless. Verse 15 says this. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. And also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You see, Elisha had to be reminded, and you and I need to be reminded, that there was still so much for him to do, and there's still so much for you and I to do. When you feel discouraged, when you feel alone, when you feel like there's no hope, God still has a plan for you. He has a plan for you, and he has tasks that he's assigned for you to do. God had these things aligned for him. He had 7,000 people who had not bowed the knee to Baal. He was far from alone. And the reality of your situation is that you are not as alone as you think you are. There are people who want to wrap their arms around you. There are people who want to lift you up. You might sometimes just have to reach out. Because sometimes you hide it so well they don't even know. But there are people who care. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, just like Elijah had works prepared for him... It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do in advance. You see, God not only created you, each and every one of us watching online, and every person here in person, everyone around this world, he not only created us in a, in a wonderful way, he created good works for us to do. He's got something left for you to do. So focus on God's purpose for you. When you get discouraged, when you get depressed, when you get hopeless. So, so what do we do? What do we do with these truths? How do we make the first step? The first thing is connect with God. Connect with God. Read God's word. And I know that's an answer for a lot of things, but guess what? When it's the answer, it's the answer. 
Read God's word. Worship. Many, many of the Psalms are written in heartache. And so sometimes if you don't have the words to say, go through and just find some different Psalms and start reading those things. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will intercede for you and you will be able to say the things that you've been wanting to say. Connect with other people. Don't withdraw. As much as is within you, reach out and let somebody know, I need help. Connect with other people. You're not alone. Don't distance yourself further. Reach out and I guarantee you, you'll be surprised. Serve other people. One of the best things we can do is when we're discouraged to take the focus off of ourselves. As hard as that is in that moment because you feel like if I don't remember me, who's going to remember me? The answer is there's other people who still care, right? That's what Elijah was told. But take the focus off yourself and say, how can I encourage somebody else? And I can almost guarantee you're going to be encouraged when you put somebody else's needs in front of yourself. And then remember, remember you were created on purpose for a purpose. So as you remember this good news, hopefully it brings you to a place of these next verses of this poem, this song that we started off talking about this morning. Even though Longfellow was dealing with horrible loss, his wife had died, his child could have died in war, the country is ripped apart, brothers fighting brothers, and here's what he ends with. Then rang the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so even when it seems like all is dark, even when it seems like there is no hope, and even when it seems like you can't stand any more bad news, maybe you, maybe you, maybe me, maybe we need to be the voice that calls out that Jesus is alive and morning is coming. Maybe we need to be the chant sublime, the voice calling out of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So no matter what darkness may come, no matter what trial you're facing, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. He is not dead, and he does not sleep. The wrong will fail, the, wrong, the right will prevail. We were made for a purpose on purpose. And it's to bring glory to God and point people to Him. So let's fulfill our purpose. We're called to share the news of peace on earth, goodwill to men. God is faithful. He always been, has always has been, He always will. Hold on to that tension of hope and just keep waiting. God's been faithful in the past. And He's going to be faithful today. And He'll be faithful tomorrow. Hope in Jesus. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.